First Kings chapter 11, verse 1. Tonight we're going to talk uh, about the Chronicles of the Kings. Really, we are going to go through the book of Chronicles and Kings as one book. And we're really focusing on the divided kingdom. I really felt like uh, I wanted to study out uh, the failure of Israel and how they as a nation fell and what led to their exile. And for us to apply that not only to the church of America and how we see that downward spiral, but also to Christians who continually compromise the Word of God and what lessons we can learn uh, in a stage of the world that we're in. We're in a day when things are getting darker and things uh, are moving towards that direction of a more godless and secular culture. And this is often this kind of time period in Scripture. This is when the prophets begin to speak and cry out. we got Isaiah and Haggai and, and Amos and all these uh, minor prophets begin to speak out during this time period. And I want to look at the kings who led Israel and Judah down to that path and see what lessons we can learn from some of them. We're just going to uh, take this over the next several months as the Lord speaks, and uh, we're just kind of uh, pick it up every other week or so. Uh, but tonight, we're going to talk about compromise to catastrophe, looking at the life of Solomon and the end of Solomon's life. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, Solomon wrote, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, And lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Two things right there. All of your heart, and trust not in yourself and your own understanding. Written by one of the smartest men on the face of the earth ever. He says, trust not in your own understanding. Written, be like Einstein writing that today. Don't trust in how smart you are. Trust in the Lord. Wouldn't that mean something coming from Einstein, right? Solomon writes this. And we're going to talk about Solomon and his failure, though. Solomon is the son of David. Let's just kind of take a recap. Solomon is the son of David. David has done some great feats, and David has pushed out much of the enemy uh, for Israel and built a name for Israel and established God's kingdom uh, on the earth. Uh, And David, while he had some failures, man, he was a man after God's own heart. And he had some ups and downs, but yet he continued to repent and give his life to the Lord. So David passes away and leaves, even in his, and we could go back into David's end of his years, he didn't do so well with his kids, but he finally, we get to the time where Solomon is as king. And Solomon is a young kid, and he asks the Lord for wisdom. And if you read First uh, Kings and you go into the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, which he wrote, you'll understand that this guy uh, was blessed by the Lord, that God began to bless Solomon because of he didn't ask for riches, he didn't ask for all these things that a king or a young person could ask for, but he asked the Lord for help to lead his people. So that's pretty awesome for a young person to have just, that's a little bit of wisdom to do that. And so he asked God, and God begins to bless him, and God, through Solomon, begins to build the temple of God, the most grand temple, and God uh, moves in Solomon's life, and favor just comes, and peace is on every side, and Israel's stature just begins to increase in the world. And God speaks to Solomon twice, and each time God reveals this covenant blessing on Solomon's descendants, basically to say, if you wholly follow me, I will continue to bless you and continue this descendants and make your line and make you great. But if you don't, if you or your descendants turn away, then I will make catastrophe 
out of this country and out of your line. So he says that, and God, you know, Solomon's like, okay, God, I'm going to do that and stay with you. And so there's this great warning and this great blessing. And God says, if you don't do this, you will be uprooted and make a, be made a spectacle of a calamity in 2 Chronicles 7.22. So God grants Solomon this great wisdom and this great wealth. His kingdom is built. Solomon builds upon his father's name and his father's legacy, peace and prosperity, wealth untold of. I mean, this guy ate on gold. His throne was ivory and gold. I mean, kings and people were just giving him stuff. And just, I don't have that problem in my life. But, you know, some of us are just, you know, got it rough, I guess. But he just, people just began to do this. And, and Solomon began to make some many new alliances Solomon writes Proverbs, and he's talking about the wisdom, and he's writing this for his son, and and great things are happening. God showed up to him twice, and and all this. But something happens in Solomon's heart, and he begins to really take this overboard. Man, he's the wisest guy in the world. We don't really know what happens, but something begins to happen in Solomon. And so one of the things in the ancient world is to uh, grow and make treaties. Uh, You would often marry and uh, not every country did this, but often it was uh, done that when you would make a treaty with someone, they would give you their daughter or something to that king or his prince because, hey, it's hard to fight you when you're my in-laws, unless you're in the South in America, right? But, but in ancient culture, I wouldn't probably want to go to war with you if I knew my daughter was in your palace, okay? That's kind of how this works. So Solomon uses a worldly tactic. And often this is what they were asking him to do. Solomon, hey, we want a treaty with you because you're so awesome, you're so rich, you're so great, you're so powerful. Take my daughter, take my, this slave girl, or take this or take that. And they want to be in Solomon's good favor. Solomon began to go along with this. And we don't know why, but he did because it was culture of the time. And 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 1 tells us that Solomon formed a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her to the city of David and had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord all around the wall of Jerusalem. Pharaoh and Egypt never really did this before. Egypt never really wanted to give their daughters away. But for Solomon, because Egypt was in a bad place and they weren't very economically stable at that time, they really wanted to get on Solomon's good graces because they're just to the south. And so Egypt says, hey, take my daughter. The pharaohs are the princess. And that was a great honor and spoke to how awesome Solomon was. And so Taking this great honor, he takes Pharaoh's daughter, the first ever to do that, and now this Pharaoh's daughter becomes his wife. But each of this time, look in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 1, each of these women become from a nation that are from other gods and from other heritage. And what happens is they all want to keep their homeland's heritage alive. 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 1. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh. That's what we just read. He said, The Moabite, the Ammonite, the Edomite, the Sidonian, the Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the sons of Israel, You shall not associate with them, nor shall they associate with you, for they will surely turn your heart away after your gods. Solomon held fast to these in love. Wow, a sad verse. This is the guy who wrote the Proverbs 31 woman. This is the guy who said to his son, my son, turn away from these women and keep your eyes on the Lord in righteousness. Shut your doors to the harlots of the street. He wrote all that in Solomon, or in Proverbs. And so it says, 
and he held fast to these in love. He had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. Let's just stop right there. That's a problem in itself. I don't care where they're from. Guys, you don't need more than one wife. Ladies, you, you don't need another bunch of wives to compete with. Thousand wives in his house, okay? And his wives turned his heart away. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods, and his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of his father David had been. Written by the very guy who said, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he makes your path straight. Let's go on. For Solomon went after the Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, after Milcom, the detestable idol of the Ammonites. Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as his father David had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable idol of Moab, on the mountain which is east of Jerusalem, that's the Mount of Olives, and for Molech, the detestable idol of the sons of Ammon. These are, let me just tell you briefly about these gods. The first one, Ashtoreth, uh, she was a goddess of war and fertility, uh, so immorality, sexual immorality in a sense. And she was uh, falsely known, what we know, uh, as the bright and morning star. Now, if you know anything about Scripture, you know that Christ is Jesus, and He's called the bright and morning star. He's the, the glory of God, the Son of God. And so there's that falsehood there. And then you go to Milcom and Molech. Molech and Milcom sometimes think, uh, and Chemosh, that we don't really know all these real well, but they're uh, pretty sure that Molech and Milcom are the same. And Molech is the one that they would offer child sacrifice to. And so that's the one that God was totally against. You go back to Leviticus, and man, he hammers on the God, Molech. And so Solomon goes along with this through his wives and goes so far as even to himself build one right across the Temple Mount. The Mount of Olives, if you've ever been to Israel, and the Temple Mount are parallel to one another. And actually, the Mount of Olives is a little taller than the Temple Mount. And so he built a, a temple overlooking the Temple of God. Now think about this. And so thus he did for all of his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. The Lord was angry with Solomon because of his heart and turned away from the Lord God of Israel who appeared to him twice and commanded him concerning the thing that he should not go after other gods. But he did not observe what the Lord had commanded. And the Lord said to Solomon, because you've done this and you've not kept my covenant and my statutes which I commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the sake of your father David. How awesome is that? Your gener- Let me just speak this. Your generation, what you do for your family now and the Lord can last for generations to come. God's favor on your life can be passed on. But I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away all the kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of, again, of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. Okay, let's talk about kingdom consequences for a second. I just want to do this and we're going to have something to pray about. What are the consequences of what Solomon did and how does that apply to your life and to my life? In his old age, his wives turned him away from the Lord. In his old age, they began to, he began to make false items for him, and his sin would have consequences now and later. What we see happening historically uh, uh, in Solomon, if you go just a few verses down, here's what happens. 
Solomon does this in his old age. Man, the guy who wrote the Proverbs 31 woman, the guy who wrote trust in the Lord always and, and who was just on fire for God, had two visions, built the very temple of God in his old age. Now think about this seasoned saints of God in his old age when he should be most vibrant, most faithful, most secure in his salvation, most uh, understanding of where God has brought him, what God has done, his pursuit of vanity and wealth and power and his disobedience to the word of God allowed this compromise in his life. And from this, men of Edom, there's three things that happened. Men of Edom, men that David had caused to flee uh, to Egypt, when they heard of David's death, they began to return back with the blessing of Pharaoh. Okay, get this. Where did his wife come from? Egypt. So Egypt sends these guys back. Okay, think about that. Likewise, there's another group. David slew some men in Zobah. Doesn't really matter. But he caused those guys to flee to Damascus and Samaria. When these guys, in the end of Solomon's life, they sought power again. And these guys who David beat, they became a marauding band and began to terrorize Israel. Okay, so he's got two guys, two groups of people who his dad beat. Now come back to terrorize him because the hand of the Lord is lifted off. Then he has a guy named Jeroboam. And Jeroboam was a valiant warrior, and Jeroboam was a son, uh, was a servant of uh, Solomon, and his mom was a widow, and she worked for him. And Jeroboam, in his life, we're going to talk about him in a couple weeks, Jeroboam, just the history, Jeroboam works for Solomon, Solomon sees his industry, sees he's a great servant, puts him over some forced labor to build the temple and the temple mount in uh, the Milo, and we don't really know what that is, but a part of Jerusalem's wall. And he begins to build, but then pride builds up in his life, and he desires this power, and he thinks he can take it from Solomon. So Solomon hears of it, and he runs him out of Egypt. Jeroboam would come back, and we'd find out later that Jeroboam will be the one to split the kingdom from him. So three big things happen in his life. Because of this, he gets fighting on the north, the south, and from within. The walls of God's protection falls away. And he gets terrorized north, south, and on the inside of his kingdom. Solomon faces all this trouble. And what happens is as his power wanes and a slow drift away from God, he begins to use something he never did before. At the very beginning of building the temple of God, this actually happened midway in his life, in his career, the 20 years that he was building the temple and the palace and all that. At the very beginning, he did not use any forced labor from Israel because it was illegal. That's something that Israel never did. But by the end of it, he was forcing Israeli citizens with a burden of tax and with the burden of forced labor to build the palace uh, and his house and his wife's house and all these things. So this revolt, even then, because of his idolatry, begins to slowly erode to where when he dies, it sets the stage for total collapse in the kingdom of God. Now, what does this have to do with you and I spiritually? I'm going to give you some lessons I thought about when I was reading through this, some warnings for us as Christians who are backsliding. Again, how can the man who wrote Proverbs 31, woman, the man who said, trust in the Lord always and holy with your heart, what a tragedy that the man who builds the temple of God should begin to worship at heathen altars, is what one author says. How did this happen? Number one, one of the things we should avoid as seasoned Christians Number one, the desire for earthly gain. Nobody is above it, but Deuteronomy 17 warned that a king who of Israel shouldn't multiply horses and wives and riches because you'd build yourself up. Uh, I think about Solomon 
And he's begin to burden them with taxes and forced labor. And he uh, even goes so far to have government-controlled land. And Jesus warns us, you know what? You cannot serve God and gain. You can't serve God, and we say in King James, mammon. You can't serve God and the things of this world. And repeatedly, Jesus would tell us, seek first the kingdom. Get rid of the things of this world. Don't store up for your treasures, uh, yourselves treasure here, but store up for treasures in heaven. And so God's kingdom turned into Solomon's kingdom. Think about that. It started off good. Your Christian life can start off good. You can start off on fire for God, wanting to build great things for God. You can have great accomplishments for God. You can know Him, have visions of Him, write great poetry and song lyrics and sing and do great things for Him. But if you do not keep your eyes on a heavenly prize, you're quick to backslide. And your whole life can quickly unravel like that. Everything you built up for God begins to crumble from the north, from the south, and from within. So are we in the Word? Are we pursuing spiritual things? And is my Christian life all about me? Is it about what I can get, God? Is it about what I can do, God? Is it about what you can do for me, God? And Solomon's life began to turn inward, slowly and gradually. We don't get a one defining moment, but slowly and gradually, he began to, all this wisdom produced all this wealth, and all this wealth began to produce forced labor and tax. I need more. I got a, man, I got the best chariots in the world. Why not have another 10,000? Oh, I got all this stuff in the world. Why not have another gold ring on my drawer? You know, all these things. Well, you know, it's okay. They can, they can work for me. It's okay. They're citizens. Oh, yeah, I don't mind buying that. It's okay. And what, isn't that how we work in American culture? Oh, you know, you got that jet ski. You might as well get the next model when it comes out. Or that new phone. They just came out. We begin to pursue all these things. We say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I go to church. I sing on the choir, blah, 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 blah. But, man, we are so earthly-minded. Beware. Beware. Things can come from the north and the south and from within. So, number one, avoid the desire for earthly gain. Number two, it began with a contract and ended with a compromise. These trees in marriage were a part of the world system. It was what people did. And so no doubt somebody was saying, well, Solomon, this is what everybody does. You just got to go along with it, right? Instead of building your kingdom like God wants you to build it, he began to compromise. Well, you know, God is blessing me. What's one wife in my house going to hurt? What's one person? You know, this is what this king wants to do. It's going to be beneficial for my family. It's going to be beneficial for my kingdom. This guy's going to offer me some wood, some lumber. And hey, if it works, okay. You know, if I fudge those numbers on my taxes... No one's going to know. Or if I, if I tell this little fib, no one's going to know. This is what everybody's doing. This is how you get ahead in this job. This is how you do this. This is how you play this game. This is how it works in the real world. Pastor, you're not in the real world. You're in a church. You know, that's how we do it out there on the street or in the office or whatever. And this contract led to a compromise. What are some things in our hearts that we want to get along with the world and do what the world does but yet it leads to a slow degradation of our hearts. And in his age, as he, all these wives begin to come into his life, it says that uh, while it started out just as a mutually beneficial thing for his country, it turned into his heart. And it actually says that his love turned into strong devotion to them. He was no longer strongly devoted to God, but strongly devoted to these wives that he had slowly taken in only on purely business. It's purely business, Pastor. Purely business. 
doesn't mean anything. It doesn't have anything to do with my spiritual relationship. Yeah, I can watch that. It doesn't affect me spiritually. Oh, yeah, I can read that. It doesn't affect me spiritually. Oh, yeah, I can go there. It doesn't affect me spiritually. That's just business. I'm just doing that because everybody else at the office is going to that party. Okay, now, you know. And sure enough, little by little, slowly by slowly, it turns into love for those things. So he contracted compromise. His zeal for the Lord decreased, and as his age continued, he got weaker and weaker and weaker, and his wives wore him down. Man, a thousand people, yeah, sure, it's going to wear you down. A thousand people talking to you about doing something else. His zeal for the Lord. So Christians, we've received the greatest blessing of all. How do we compromise sometimes God's word for the things the world says? This is how things are done. Somebody will come and say, that's, that's old school, Pastor. That's the old view. We, it's okay to date or marry a non-Christian today. It's okay to shack up before marriage today. That's just how things are done. Oh, is it? According to God's word, no, it's not. Compromise. Do we partner with other people that are unholy in their business practices because it benefits us? Do we rely on our wisdom or God? So desire for earthly gain, contract to compromise real quick. Number three, comfortable in idolatry. Comfortable in idolatry. What happened, it was easy to forget the Lord when you're comfortable in compromise. Once you become comfortable with that little bit of idolatry around you, you begin to participate in it. And Solomon brought sin into his home. I think about this way. What's mild on TV today was horrid 10, 15, 20 years ago. You know that? But it's normal for our children today. And what we allow in our home today that seems minuscule and small becomes the next normal thing in the generation to come. And Solomon saw this in his own life. One wife, well, if you just build me, can I have this little idol? Solomon, you know I'm so very homesick for my family. I'm so very homesick for my father who you took me from. And you got all this gold and all this wealth, and you got this big old temple for God. What's one little bitty idol on my bookshelf at home going to hurt, Solomon? Can I just have one little idol? And another thousand person comes in. One little idol, Solomon. Can we just put one little thing on a hill just outside of town just for me to go and remember my mom and my dad, just so I can go look at the pictures of my family and remember and think about my homeland since I'm so far away, Solomon. And they begin to compromise and compromise. And years went by and years went by. And soon enough, Solomon woke up one day and he had built a temple across the hill from the very temple of God. If it can happen to the wisest man on earth, it can happen to me. Think about that. If it can happen to the wisest man on earth who wrote, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. It can happen to you and to I. Compromise, slow compromise. We get comfortable in idolatry. And seasoned saints, it's not just for the youth. This happened in Solomon's years of his age. You know, it's really easy. We say, well, I learned all that in Sunday school. I've been in church for all these many years. I've heard all these sermons, pastor. I know. Yeah, but are we reading our word? Yeah, are we in prayer? Yeah, but are we filled with the Holy Spirit and doing the things that God wants us to do? Are there things in our life that we get slack in and we're not seeing the world the way the Lord sees it anymore? Are we seeing the adultery of the world the way the, the Lord sees it and the idolatry of the world the way uh, the Lord sees it? How important it is for all of us, no matter our age, to keep in the presence of God. And if Solomon had just continued to be in that temple in the presence of God, I wonder what could have happened. How the Lord could have taken those things and, and remember that Ah, we think about this and that sin is no respecter of age. We can start on on fire for God, but it's about how will you end? 
How will you end your Christian life? Will you still be on fire like you were when you, very, when you first began? Desire for earthly gain, contract to compromise, comfortable in idolatry, and half-and-half half Christianity. I think about half-and-half half Christianity. I have, uh, last, uh, last night I ate some of that, I don't know what you call it, uh, but it's half-and-half, half, half chocolate, half vanilla. I hate that stuff, by the way. Uh, yeah, great divide, right? I'm a chocolate person, and if I want... So in our fridge, you know what the ice cream looks like? Vanilla and chocolate. You know what I mean? I'm not big. No, that's my side, and I'll get that. The same is true spiritually. God doesn't deal with half and half Christianity. There isn't no, there's no half and half relationship with God. And you can be sure that if there's idolatry and there's this comfortable uh, compromise in our life, the Lord is going to begin to fight against us in our idolatry. And I wonder if God wasn't trying to wake Solomon back up to uh, repentance. He allowed problems in the north, and he allowed problems in the south, and he allowed problems within. And I, sometimes I wish that Christians who would recognize I've got problems in this area of my life, and I've got problems in this area of my life, and then I realize I've got problems right here in my home. I wonder if God is trying to shake us up to get us back on our knees and say, God, we need you. God, I need you that we come and go to the pastor's office and we go to counseling, we read the books and we do all these things. But the end of the day, is everything right in here? Is everything right in here? Are there any areas of my life of compromise? Am I comfortable in idolatry of this world? Because there's no such thing as a half and half Christian. Jesus says, give me one or the other. He says to the Revelation church in Laodicea, because you're lukewarm, you're not hot nor cold, I spit you out. A heart divided. A heart cannot be divided between this world and the next. Jesus even said it repeatedly. A person who puts their hands on the plow and looks back is not fit to enter the kingdom of God. You can't serve God and mammon. You can't be this. Even the rich young ruler, he says, give it all away and come follow me. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter if it's money or an idea or a philosophy or an education or a career or some pride or some lust or whatever it is. Is everything holy the Lord's? Because the, the sin that really comes out in Solomon's life, while God was mad about the temples and God was mad about the wise, what you find at the root source of it all, it says his heart was not holy the Lord's. His heart was not holy the Lord's like his so the servant David, his father. People whose heart are holy the Lord's are men like Caleb and Joshua we see in just a few generations before Solomon that he, Solomon could have taken a, a lesson from. Caleb being this 85-year-old man whose heart was holy the Lord's scripture says and took on a city of giants at, in his 80s. That's a man who's holy the Lord's. David, his heart was holy the Lord's. Even though he failed and he had problems, his heart continued to be holy the Lord's. Our right, challenge for us tonight as we get into a prayer time is there any desire for earthly gain in my life? Is there any contracts that are going to lead me to compromise my Christianity? Are there areas where I'm comfortable in idolatry in my life? Is there things that I view as mild today? Some small thing. And what I think about in Solomon's life is perhaps this. One, that it all destroyed his legacy. Not only did it destroy his legacy, it destroyed his father's legacy as well. What a sad day. What a sad day. That what I do, and if I falter today, it's not only going to affect my wife, it's going to affect my children and how they're going to serve the Lord. If I backslide today, and no one's above backsliding, by the way, it's all about pressing into the Lord, keeping into the Lord. 
but it destroys a whole legacy and it split an entire kingdom because Solomon was not wholly devoted to the Lord and he allowed little things over many years to come into his life. I wonder if it started out and he thought about it this way. Well, God, and you know how we make those excuses in our head. This little TV show is okay. It's all right. I still love the Lord. This little attitude in my heart's okay, but I still love the Lord. You know, this little gambling's okay. This little drinking's okay. This little promiscuity's okay. A little bit of this is okay. But I know, you know, I really go to church. I really, I go to church. I, I read the Bible. I pray. I go to, I go to God in prayer. I, I wear the Christian t-shirts. I, I don't do things real bad in public. I, I do do good things. I do go to church. I am a Christian. But I got these little mini little things, little, little idols stuck around the house, stuck of my heart. Solomon was probably like, God, you know the biggest, grandest temple in all of Israel is still yours? The most beautiful, grandest temple in the whole world, God, I built for you. What's one little bitty temple over on this hill? What's one little bitty pole over on this hill? What's one little bitty idol in one of my wife's rooms? What, what doesn't matter, God. I know all those, all, yeah, sure, my thousand wives, they got their little idols, they got their little poles, their little trinkets. But God, don't you know the biggest temple, I built the biggest temple for you, God, that it's all for you. But yet at the end of the day, it wasn't all God's. His heart was not all the Lord's. You can build the biggest thing for God and say, God, I go to church more than I go to the bars. But it doesn't matter if your heart is not full of the Lord. You can, you can, thank you. You can give everything you can to the poor. You can build it all up and you can say, God, look at all the things I've done for you. And God, here's all this. And how many times I go to church and all the songs I read and all the Bible praying I pray. Even the Pharisees did all that. But unless our heart is holy, the Lord's. We'll just be in half and half Christian. Are we comfortable in idolatry? Are there contracts that lead to compromise? And are there desires for earthly gain? Because if there are, they will destroy your legacy. They'll destroy my legacy. And I think this is a reminder. Hey, you know, not all scripture is here to pump us up. Some scripture is here to remind us to rely on God. Rely on God. Rely on God. Because of this, for 400 years, these idols that he allowed his wife to bring in would rule Israel for 400 years till a young man named Josiah would come into play and kick them all out again. What little things in my life can ruin my marriage? What little things in my life, my attitude, my, my little things that I keep secret could one day expose me and ruin me later? It's a wake-up call for us, Christian, to be holy the Lord's. Amen? Amen. I'm going to ask Miss T to come and, and play. What compromises do we fail to stand today against that might affect us, but not only us, generations to come? I want to be so on fire for the Lord that my daughters pass me and pale in comparison to my relationship with God. I want to see Solomon built upon his father David, and his sons were supposed to build upon him. And so I want to say, God, I want my life to be so zealous, so on fire for you, so anti this world, so not of this world, and so into you and so wholly yours that for generations to come, my children and my children's children, should the Lord tarry, would be so into God that they would soar so far above me in the blessing and the favor of God. So where are we at today in our hearts and our lives that God would just move in us and say, God, if there's anything, Lord. David said this, search me and know me, O God. Reveal any wicked way in me. 
Find something in me, God, that doesn't need to be there. And Lord, I want you to have it. Lord, make it yours, God, that you would just cleanse us and purify us of all unrighteousness. We just take an altar time and just right, right where you are. Let's just take some quiet time. You Maybe you want to turn at your seat. Maybe you want to come.